Hi there. Welcome back to the Brave New Workforce, the podcast changing the way the world works. This week, I am super excited to welcome a new... Well, first of all, before we get into that... Yeah, what about us? Look at us. What about you, Anna? (laughs) I got got into my intro without actually fumbling once, and then I was like, something's missing, and I was like, shoot, I forgot to talk to Anna. She forgot her face. She forgot to get in her customary troll. So how are you, Anna and Larry? Hi. Hi. Yeah, uh, we're really excited about our guest that I guess you completely forgot about your two co-partners in crime here, my friend. Yeah, it's okay, man. It's okay. It's, it's we get it. It's not personal. We get it. We see where we I are think in the, the audience pool. knows like that it, this is like all it. about me in my head. That's just, I'm the hero of my own story. <laughs> that yeah. we do know. I, yeah. 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 Uh, but no yes, secret. I'm sorry, guys. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Oh, good. good. <laughs> and Larry? Life on the mountain? Life on the mountain. Run, boys, run. Yeah, I'm not going to sing that song. Well, you're right, Anna. I, I was uh, super excited to jump into this because this week we're joined by Rebecca Weaver, uh, who is the founder and CEO of HR Uprise. Uh, Rebecca has more than 20 years of experience as an HR business partner uh, for all sorts of organizations, large and small. And she's recognized a real need uh, and oftentimes a, a bit of a trust gap uh, where HR in organizations is concerned between sort of workers in the in the company. And there's sort of a sentiment around who do you trust? And so she's she's identified that need and she's she's come on to talk to us about what her company does. And it's really interesting and I'm excited to get started. And maybe if we're nice, uh, we can dig a little dirt and get some some good stories out of some of the HR <laughs> nightmares oh, or not. HR stories? Oh, true. Well, you know, I, what a I was at Amazon. I know Fight Club If we had a lawyer, the lawyer would be like, play. oh. Yeah. Trip, but trip, trip, trip. Rebecca, welcome to the Brave New Workforce. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about HR Uprise and, and what was the beginning of that story and what 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 led you to uh, to this concept? Sure. So it was really in the wake of Me Too, uh, the conversations that were happening in the workplace that sounded so different from any other conversation that had happened in my adult life. Um, I started looking back at my own personal experiences, understanding what I had experienced with new language, um, understanding it in a completely new way, um, and I also started looking back as an HR professional and asking myself, you know, how many ways have I been a part of creating this environment for other people? And it was really, especially that second question, that I didn't see nearly enough of that conversation happening in HR. I looked around and there were a lot of high profile people. Um, Gretchen Carlson was one of the first women to come forward against Roger Ailes at the Fox News Network. Um, And I saw her being interviewed and somebody asked her, "What, what, what advice would you give if someone else was going through what you went through? And the first thing she said was, if you're harassed, don't go to HR. And I'm seeing these headlines out there that said, HR is not your friend and here's why. And I looked at that and rather than feeling like I needed to defend the HR profession, I mean, if I was really honest, it was pretty good advice in a lot of cases. And again, I just, I found myself with a lot to say. So I launched an Instagram account and I called it HR Uprise because I was calling for an uprise within HR. And I was using very non-HR language and imagery and all of that. And 
what was really interesting, it exploded. Um, and what was so fascinating is in the very beginning, from the very beginning, I started to hear from non-HR people and they're reaching out, asking questions like, I saw somebody being harassed. How can I be a good ally without getting myself in trouble? Or I just found out that I make a lot less than all my coworkers. What, is there anything I can do about that? Um, those kinds of questions. And, and those questions, by the way, like continue to this day. And so HR Uprise has gone through a couple of iterations, but really now it has been this driving force for me. How can I personally use my years of HR experience to help level the playing field for employees in the, in the workplace? Um, and also, I think, again, I would love to see more conversation about the role of HR in workplaces and what that really means for employees. That's so cool. I mean, it's so you definitely are positioning the company to be an advocate for the employee, which is kind of unique, you know, because I know that as you were saying, when you work in the industry, as you know, Trip and I have done, there are good HR people that you work with, but they always, sometimes even they'll remind you like, hey, by the way, I I work for the company first, so I have to take care of what they care about. So I think it's very rare. I love that you guys are doing that. Do you also work with employers to help coach and, and kind of guide them to be more effective and, and start to be a little more forward thinking? So here's the way that we're doing that. Um, So HR Uprise now is an online marketplace. We are in beta testing with coaches, um, getting ready to launch in the next one to two months. And um, really, again, it is that idea of removing the obligation to the company from the equation so that employees can have true, truly independent access to that information, that wealth of knowledge, that experience. Yeah, I love um, that. And, but what we do for companies, there's a couple different ways. Um, first of all, a lot of our coaches um, have said that they're interested in doing this as a side gig, which means they're still in their day job on a daily basis. So that's my not so secret, maybe ulterior motive. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, we have had companies start to reach out who are interested in offering coaching directly to their employees. And so as long as we can still maintain that complete mm, that's independence, cool. it is mm-hmm. very cool. I think they're very forward thinking companies. As long as we can still maintain that independence um, and build a trust um, with employees, then those are things that we're exploring as well. You know, you'd think that that an enlightened company, because I mean, Larry and Anna will tell you that uh, I'm going to take this in a nerdy direction. There's always a historical parallel. We're kind of hitting this point that was very similar to like um, the the golden age of movies, like when the studio system broke up, right? It used to be that you had talent that was locked into a, a multi-year contact, uh, you know, free agency, the, the, the ability where these people were essentially locked into these, um, these agreements that were very disadvantageous and they, they'd lock them in earlier in their career. And then you were stuck, um, yeah, for, it's for like record certain, labels too. Yeah. record labels. Um, yeah. and technology is that like that somewhat to a degree, like they've severe, the technology companies can severely limit the types of things that you can do. And there's non-competes and a bunch of other try. They try. Um, but I would think that a lot of companies, like I, I was at a company that was subject to some headlines at one point and we had an ethics hotline, uh, that you could call into if you saw something. And that was like a, uh, a no, a no, uh, 
like it, you, you, you could do it privately, but then if it was escalated, you, you were sort of involved in the conversation and that sort of thing. But it was very much, it was very much under pressure and it was very much like you, I was, I had like when I, when I had an escalation that I submitted, um, on behalf of someone, um, I wanted my HRBP in the room with me when the other HR team reached out to investigate. And he was like shocked at how aggressive their, their questioning was, uh, and how he was, he was like, this is like really, it was clearly sort of some intimidation that was happening. And that I think there's an element of that where a good, a company that actually cares and actually wants to avoid problems like that would almost want somebody that could just objectively say, if this is what's happening here, are the paths forward here, are the things you need to know, this is what would, you know, if you're bringing a, a legitimate complaint and here's the criteria that this would be the escalation path and here are your, your rights under the law. Right. People are afraid to even ask that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I mean, I think that those kinds of ethics hotlines and there's a lot of new tech on the market now um, that, you know, allows people to report anonymously within the company. I think those things are really important, but it's also important to recognize that with most of them, they're still getting reported back up through the company um, and through the HR team. And so really what it does is it allows you to report anonymously in a lot of cases, um, but to really, again, I think this is the crux of the problem. I mean, there's a huge mistrust in HR these days. And that's something that I, again, I'm not hearing enough talk about that within HR. Yeah. I mean, a survey I saw fairly recently um, was, it was with, comp- it was, I think, 30,000 um, employees across multiple companies. Um, and these are the companies who are showing up at the top of those best companies to work for lists, right? And 70% of people who responded to this survey said they do not trust HR. 70%. That's a huge and shocking figure. Yeah, it's pretty sad. It is. But I, I think the reason for that is that we have gotten so mixed up about the role of HR. You know, people, even HR will say, oh, my role is here. I'm, I'm an employee advocate. I'm here for the people. And that might be very well intentioned. But at the end of the day, if there is a conflict between what's best for the company and what's best for the employee, that HR person's obligation to the company is going to win out every time. Yeah, you said this was something that is a recent thing, the lack of trust in HR. But honestly, I think um, it's it's gone back as far as my career um, in the beginning. It was one of the catalysts why I decided to work for myself. I got sexually harassed at my company and nobody did anything about it. They didn't take it seriously. And I was like, why am I here? Why would I subject myself to a, a terrible job in the first place and then get sexually harassed by the manager nonetheless? Um and then not get taken seriously for it from the very people that are saying, you know, we're on your side, right? And it made me want leave. It just made me leave the whole system. I was just like, if, if there's nobody for me, I might as well just be for myself and go my separate ways. So it seems like, you know, this was a problem 15 years ago. I'm sure this is not a uh, an uncommon story from from the rest of the world, right? How do we build trust or how does HR act as the a better trust bridge, I guess, when really 
they are in the best interest of the company and not the people. I think a huge part of it is being honest about that, about what their role really is within the organization. So Larry, you mentioned earlier, HR people who have said, you know, remember, oh, yeah. I work for they the company. <laughs> I think yeah. that's actually something that I would love to hear. It was refreshing. Yeah. I would love to hear more HR people say that and be really honest because I, I do. I can't tell you how many s- stories I've heard from people who feel really burned by HR. And that's a phrase that they frequently use. I was burned. And I think it's because they come thinking that they're going to get that employee advocate. And what they get is a company representative. And I, also, honestly, it's a huge conflict of interest to expect the same person to investigate uh, discrimination or harassment in the workplace and have that same person be responsible for career development conversations or succession right, planning. Right. And it's just a massive conflict of interest. And, and yet planning ex- layoffs. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're and doing too many things. Yeah, We expect it all the time, all the time. And so I think that's a huge part of it. And again, that's why I, it felt so important to me to really remove that Um, obligation to the company from the equation. Um, Because again, there really is a a tremendous amount of knowledge. um, And I I really just want employees to feel more informed. You know, I I don't necessarily want to control a decision one way or another. And for a lot of people, it might be the right thing to leave the organization or go do something else. I just read um, a study, Working Mother did a study. And for the people who responded to their study, it was women of color. 50% of them said they plan to leave the workforce in the next two years. And it is because, again, of a lot of what we're talking about, um, you know, issues, microaggressions that are not micro, um, things happening over and over again. I'm talked over. I'm not listened to. I, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so again, like I, these are, these are shocking things that this past year, um, the number of women, the number of women of color who have left the workforce, um, either um, voluntarily or involuntarily, both are huge, huge issues. They're a crisis for us, and we really need a completely different approach. You know, in some ways, it reminds me of internal affairs with the police force, that you need a body that's separate, completely separate. And and I would say it's really hard for HR to wear both hats where it's like, there's, there's a stuff they're doing that's internal and it's good. And it's when everything's operating normally and performance coaching, all that stuff is fantastic. You know, figuring out what salary should be is fantastic. But I think these cases where it's looking at discrimination and harassment and all this stuff, it really needs to be almost like an outside agency that can perform an audit that doesn't get their paycheck signed by the executives they're investigating, which is like, how does that work? Right. But I think there's there's also an element here that's I think smart um, because when something does happen, you know the legal term is remediation. Well, it's the same term that they use for like toxic spills and you know it's like you've already got ten thousand dead birds on the shore by the time you're remediating, right? So how can you get ahead of it? Uh, and I think like what are things proactively like? <laughs> there's a lot of feral managers out there. You're you know the, the people kind of treat it as like you're either built for management or you're not. And some of that might be true, but more often than not, it's that you kind of learn the right ways and had the right emotional intelligence or you've, you've done the right thing, but like, it's almost like luck of the draw. How much 
if this was a resource where you could have somebody that could be a sounding board, right? Or if you were a manager, I've had to work on things like my communication skills. Anna and Larry will tell you that I tend to monologue and that can come off as yes, yes, he does. explaining, but I am equal opportunity with my explaining. I, yeah, will, I will put everybody. that out there, it's but true. like where, where, but if you want to get better, if you're not even aware of it, how do you work on it without it being sort of this humiliating career limiting event that is highly charged and, and that sort of thing is you actually, you're just a person that wants to get better at their job, but you're not sure where to start because you've never had any training. See, I think that's a huge point because somebody just reached out to me about that and they're like, so why is it I have all this skills-based training and I'm learning how to be a good whatever, a good designer, a good engineer. I get promoted to management. It's like, good luck. Here you go. Maybe you get like one little course and you get this big book handed to you and it's like all the policy stuff. And they're like, good luck. Go be a good manager. And I, I think many companies do not do effective management training whatsoever. So I think that's a big part of the problem. I think there's some people they are not meaning to do the wrong things. They've just never been taught the right things. It's a huge problem. Yeah. I, I think that companies love to invest in, you know, leadership development and training and things like that. And, and it's all well and good. I think the, the biggest advantage of that, quite honestly, is from a company perspective to be able to say, this is what we value. This is, you know, what we think is important for you as a manager. Um, but the real, like really where the rubber meets the road is in how you deal with things. Um, so when somebody is not living up to those expectations, how do you deal with it? And the longer you allow bad managers, um, the longer you allow this kind of, um, you know, what can become a toxic work environment, that then becomes your culture. On the flip side, for the manager who really wants to improve, the, the challenge that I have also seen is that typically executive coaches are very expensive. And so a lot of people couldn't afford them on their own. Um, and if they can, then or the company pays for them. But usually a company, because they're very expensive, will only invest in that top level of leadership. Well, what about everybody who wants to get there? And what about all the people who, hey, I look up there and I don't see anybody who looks like me. Um, how can I continue to grow my skills and, and improve? And so there is an element um, of sort of democratizing, you know, access to coaching um, as well with the coaches that we have on the platform um, and making it available to people much earlier in their career. Well, Larry's done some of that, even with his brilliant forge community. I mean, there's the career accelerator where it's, it's more like weekly. It's, it's not the wrong way to put it would be like, it's a group check-in, but it's like you have this level of trust and a uh, sense of confidentiality within the group. And it's the same people week after week and people can bring real questions, real problems, and that you have a, a notion of, and, and there's challenges. I mean, Larry keeps those things on, on, on target. Um, but I, but I also think like there's a, there's an element of how do you get the right feedback for managers or how do you, like you, you, you've mentioned allies. How do I be a good ally? One of the things that you very rarely see in the diversity and inclusion is like, training is, is like, you know, if you see something wrong, here are your protections as somebody that is going to escalate. Here's the right way to escalate. Here's the thing that you're doing the right thing for the company and for the person that you're seeing. And 
maybe even for the person that you're seeing this aggression from is like, how do we intervene with this in the right way rather than having something that blows up in the headlines or blows up in the company Slack channel, or you get, you know, these very angry, bitter departure emails posted to, to LinkedIn. Um, because then, then the, it's, it's, it's the horses out of the barn. It's already, it's already too late to deal with that. That toxicity is there and it lasts. Um, I think it's a, it's a really sort of smart way to think about what the, what the way of HR could be. Now, how would that apply to, or what are you seeing with, we talk a lot about remote work on the podcast or remote teams or distributed teams. How does this apply or what are you seeing as trends or issues around how do you, how does this help with as companies learn how to be remote? Yeah, I think, um, in the early days of the pandemic, we saw a lot of reporting that um, not only had discrimination and harassment not stopped when things moved, that it had increased in a lot of cases. Um, what's interesting is that, again, it's um, it's more than just taking you know your company and putting everything online. Like there's so much more to it than that. Um, part of the challenge, and I think part of the reason that we are seeing that is that um, we're spending all day on Zoom. And now all of a sudden people have a window into our home, um, which is a much more personal space. Um, and so again, all of the things, all of the ways that people engaged and interacted with each other, it just looks a little bit different now, maybe over a text message, or maybe it's in a chat on a Zoom call. Um, but those things are absolutely still happening. Yeah, um, is that... The increase in harassment, is that just due to the fact that it was being recorded more effectively because of the technology tools that we were using? It's really hard to know, too, especially when we're talking about harassment discrimination. So if you take sexual harassment, for example, it's estimated that more than 5 million people, and this, of course, was a pre-pandemic statistic, but more than 5 million people a year experience sexual harassment in the workplace, and less than two-tenths of 1% ever make it to the EEOC. That is a shocking figure. Um, and so it is, I think, really still difficult because the and, and even if you just take it at the company level, depending on which, you know, research you look at, it's anywhere from 50 to 80 percent or more goes unreported within companies. Um, so, yes, I do think that electronic communication um, makes the paper trail or digital paper trail much easier to track. Um, you have screenshots and things like that that are much more accessible than it might be in a hallway conversation. So the follow-up question that I wanted to ask um, was that I was doing, um, I did a webinar recently. I, I listened to a webinar about effective communication. And one of the things the host was saying was that um, through email and texts and things like that, people are constriving or reading your message in more of a negative tone than a positive tone. So do you think maybe that also has to do perhaps with an increase in harassment is people are not hearing the body language or seeing the body language or hearing the tonalities anymore in their messages that it's coming across very dull, dry and uh, blatant, you know? Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible that's in, that's contributing as well. Mm. Um, it is. It's really difficult to parse meaning, um, you know, or to understand the full context in strictly electronic communication. That can be really, really challenging. Um, so, yeah, I yeah. think that's absolutely a contributing factor as well. 
I think that just recently happened with one of my kids in a college course. They'd been exchanging email with the professor and they're like, oh, they're really mean. They're really mean. And I said, this is going to be a horrible course because of the tone and tone of the email. And then they started the actual course and they had Zoom and he's like, oh, actually they're not mean. They're pretty nice. And he's like, I don't know. I guess it was just the email. So he was greatly relieved, but it was exactly that issue where I think they're just busy. And so the emails were really abrupt and, you know, kind of short and curt and they're like, oh, they're so mean. And the Zoom helped a lot with that, whereas like humanized the whole experience. So it could be. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also worth mentioning too. I mean, there's plenty of research around um, how often women in the workplace and women of color in particular, um, you know, the same um, kinds of messages um, are interpreted entirely differently for men versus women. Um, And again, the the women of color in the workplace um, are certainly get the most negative. They've seen that in performance reviews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same behavior. And it's like, oh, really aggressive. It's like, but you said the guy was confident. Right. (laughs) So, you know, so I think, again, that comes back to the training. It's like, are you really applying the same metric to all of your employees or are you putting some personal judgment into that? And which totally happens. Just another tidbit about that webinar about effective communication. One of the things that he was saying or um, was about emojis. Like the millennial generation loves to use emojis, but the older generation finds that super unprofessional and it they don't take them as seriously. However, yeah, like like you can literally get it way wrong as a white male <laughs> by putting a fruit in there. All I'm, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Like it's right. it's more it's more I'm dangerous about, than anything I'm else. Like about just smiling. I'm gonna winky give you face a, is about as far as I go. I'm gonna send you a safe set of emojis. Trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from certain. Yeah. No, Trip, you're doing it wrong. Maybe we need to do a little webinar on how to use emojis effectively. <laughs> yeah, there you I, think, go. I think we should. I think it might be in order. <laughs> no, but I mean, they were saying that, you know, millennials tend to use more emojis. And I feel like for me, I do in an email, I like to put smiley faces in it just so that it doesn't sound like such a curt do this or die kind of message. Whereas, you know, other in other scenarios for the older generation, they think it's very unprofessional and they don't take them as seriously. So it's kind of like a, a tough balance to do when you're communicating purely on text. Yeah, it absolutely is. So, so I'm going to ask a interesting, it's an odd question, right? Um, Uh-oh. What's happening? Yeah, I know. This is where we get, is, Larry's, Larry's just cringing. Are, I'm we, already nervous. Should we I'm get already censorship nervous. My, my, my HR antenna just went up and I was like, uh-oh, Trip's going to, when Trip says that, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. No, well, no, I think you were, Rebecca, you were talking earlier about how men and women interpret things differently, right? But I think there's also things where, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's weird to say this is like as, as the white male, like well, I used to be a high school teacher. I had to be really, really careful with how I dealt with female students versus how I dealt with male students when I was teaching high school. And especially in me too, when I was leading a team, you know, I had to, I always had door open with my female directs and always made sure that I sat with my back to the wall and the door and the, and the chair so that they, you know, that there was a, there was a, an environment where they felt like, because there's so much, there's so much, um, well-earned, uh, you know, patterns and historical patterns of abuse. But I think like sometimes when men go to HR, there's, a, there's even an, a, a, a belief that they're not going to be believed. 
right? Or that they're going to be treated as like it's whining or, you know, what's the right way to navigate around this? Um, and that, that I think, how do you, how do you navigate around situations like that? Because I think there are a lot of communication issues that are out of ignorance is not necessarily ill intent. And that's, I think like what the value of a service like this can be is how do people more gracefully navigate these miscommunications that are not about malintent. They're just out of just really nobody taught you that, or you need to work on this or, you know, those sorts of things where it doesn't become catastrophic and career ending. I think that the first, the first thought I have with that is um, really this idea that it's, it's actually far less about the intent um, and we should be focusing much more on the impact. Mm -hmm. So you know, the intent behind a comment. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very common tactic, um, whether it's conscious or not, but a very common tactic and defense mechanism. Um, when, you know, somebody speaks up and says, Hey, that was offensive to me, or what you said, you know, did not land well. Um, it's a very common defense tactic to say, Oh, that's not what I intended. And it very well may be true. But at the end of the day, we really need to be focused much more on what was the impact of that rather than the intent, um, because it's it's very commonly used as a well. If I had good intent, then therefore I should not be held. Um, or it was a joke. It was just a joke. Yeah, Absolutely. you hear a lot of that yeah. too. Yeah, and and thank you for that clarification because um, I don't I don't think that's what I intended. Uh, like, <laughs> sorry. Of course, of course, that's what happens, right? Uh, I think what I uh, was more about even communication style, right? Uh, sort of, or the way that somebody, you know, um, you know, uses emoji or doesn't use emoji. Like those are, those are things that it's not even necessarily about intent. There can be, there's layers of culture, there's layers of life experience, there's layers of other things that how do you, and, it, and I don't know if all of that draws on intent as much as like uh, uh, communication, like there's a, there's an enculturation thing that has to happen at the company for this is the way that we work. This is what the expectation is. This is how we communicate. There's a, there's that often, often gets ignored. People just treat employees as turnkey or managers as turnkey. Now, you know, yesterday you weren't a manager today. You are a manager. Good luck with that. Um, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a huge gap there. Uh, both uh, it, it's not quite covered by L and D and, uh, it's not it's not covered by HR by any stretch. Right. I think that the other challenge that we have is that a lot of our communication expectations were born of a, of an environment that centers white people and in more than that centers male white men um, and our expectations around that. So much of our what we consider to be professional you know, I'm using air quotes, um, but what we consider to be professional in the workplace are are really rooted in white supremacy. Um, and I think, again, recognizing that and being willing to have conversations about that, ha being able to say, absolutely, this is this is the case. And so what what can we do about this? What does it mean for us within our company? Um, you know, being willing to have the hard conversations, I think is really, really critical, um, you know, and being able to have someone come forward. And I, I will say in, in all my years of experience, 
when I have seen someone who had the courage, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to come forward and say either that was offensive to me, that didn't land well, here's how that impacted me in a negative way, takes a tremendous amount of courage. Um, and when someone has be, has been willing to do that, and if the other person responds with what appears to be a very sincere, wow, let me listen to that. Let me, let me hear how that impacted you. Let me um, come up with some ways that I can make amends and then also do things differently going forward. You know, anytime, and by the way, that's a really rare response, <laughs> but anytime somebody has ever responded in that way, that it is always a positive thing for the for the company culture but the problem is it's so rare that the response is that way throughout my career uh, especially in the beginning of my career where i was a young person uh, i was in tech and i was often i'm still a young person but i was a younger younger person um i was in tech and uh, often the only wo- woman in the room and of course not a lot of topics about culture back then and talking about hey that's kind of offensive you talking about me in that way like i'm just a human body is not really cool but you can't i felt like i couldn't really say that in a room full of men because then i'm just like the not cool one and then i get butted out of the meet important meetings that i need to be in because they don't want to be seen as offensive and that's like i end up getting punished for something somebody else has said and so it yes you're right it does take a lot of courage but even if even if i had courage at the time to be like hey that's not cool and even if they'd said oh let me let me listen and try and be more respectful towards those needs i feel like they would still be an undertone of like i have to watch what i have to say in front of her and then it affects the whole vibe of the culture and then it you go it goes back to perhaps unconsciously then you get butted out of the important meetings that you need to be a part of even if they have all the correct intentions because um, I feel like human nature is like very tribal and you, the moment you kind of put yourself as the outlier either you have to be a spectacular outlier or you're getting killed with all the wolves right so yeah absolutely um, I've seen it I've experienced it myself I mean for the person who is sort of on the receiving end of all of that um, there are so many more reasons for you not to speak up than there are for you to speak up I mean, it doesn't even compare, you know, tenfold the number of reasons to just stay quiet and or to go along um, than there are to speak up. Um, because again, you all you have to do is look at um, history with either this particular group of people, look at the history of the company, look at the history within um, the American business world, <laughs> you know, within the tech community. I mean, there, again, like there's just, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't speak up. Um, and so again, it, keeping that in mind, even more so when somebody do, is willing to do it, um, then, you know, we should be going out of our way to welcome the hard feedback. But again, creating an environment um, that encourages dis discord that encourages people to disagree with each other um is so much easier said than done yeah um yeah having worked in a few of those that were intentionally and intentionally discordant um yeah i think there's a there's there's one other thing because it you know you were talking about that speaking up and i gave a talk last week uh about this uh, i'm dyslexic 
uh, and with neurodiversity. And one of the things about invisible disability, um, you know, as a protected class, is that you you have to disclose. Uh, and one of the parts of the talk is that it's so much easier to remain invisible um, because disclosing it like has all sorts of stigma associated with it, whether it's mental health, whether it's a, you know, a difference in the way that you process information or somebody that may be on the autism spectrum, uh, you know, and how they, they navigate interpersonal, uh, communications or, or, or understand context and a bunch of other things. It's, it's, it, it becomes, you have to be increasingly so intentional about the culture that you build as a company. Uh, and you have to have tools that are not just reactive. And I, I think that's what's really exciting about this idea of HR Uprise and, and as a tool is that um, you have a tool that can actually grow with the company and, and, and uh, sort of not be the remediation on the, with all the dead birds on the, on the shoreline, but, you know, a better be GPS proactive. system that yeah. Keeps, yeah. keeps you away yeah. from, the, from, the, from the icebergs. Absolutely. So. I mean, you know, if people could get individualized support um, and resources throughout, um, throughout their career, uh, I just, again, it's, it's for me all about leveling the playing field. And, and to me, that means making people more informed, giving them more choices, giving them an avenue for, you know, working through things. Um, you know, honestly, so much of for the people who reach out to me asking those questions like they did from the very, very beginning with the Instagram account, um, more than anything, people are looking for validation. And, and I've had so many conversations with people where I say, I am so sorry that happened to you. You were failed by HR. And that's ultimately people are just looking for, is it me? Like, am I the only one who has dealt with this? And the answer is almost surely Absolutely not. It's not just you. So I imagine a lot of people listening, because we have a lot of folks in tech and, and a lot of folks that are probably dealing with some of these issues right now. I, I'm sure they are because it's pretty common. Where can they engage with you to learn more about this and, and find out how to work with you? Yeah. So our website is hruprise.com and you can sign up to find a coach um, right there at the website. So that's the best place to find us. And you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, we're still posting there. Um, maybe not as often as we used to, but still posting there, um, and can follow us at HR Uprise. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, this has been a really fantastic, I, mean, I think it's really exciting, especially, you know, as Anna and Larry will say, I put my foot in my mouth, usually hilariously, uh, on, on occasions, yes. uh, but uh, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that could uh, benefit from manager employee companies that could benefit from something that was just maybe a saner way to help people yeah. navigate being with other people. That's really what the mm -hmm. job is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can all use a coach, honestly. We I really agree. could. Um, <laughs> yeah. My coach, I'm biased, I'm, but I agree. <laughs> yeah. I've been working with my coach for a couple of years. And honestly, I, I, yeah. couldn't, I, I wouldn't yeah. be where I am without that person. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming yes. on uh, this week. And Anna, uh, you know, uh, where can they find out more about us and uh, about us. all that stuff? I'm running out of things to say for once. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, yeah, you can email me at Anna at thebraveworkforce.com. Um, you can also find us on the internet called thebraveworkforce.com. Um, send me an email if you have questions, if you think you'd be relevant to the remote work subject and or the future of work. I uh, would love to hear from what you have to say. Well, till then. Trip? Ta-ta. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I'm sorry. I was just one, I was just remembering. Rebecca is one of those people that reached out to us um, like yeah. and got yeah, a great conversation going on. So it yeah. does it does work. Uh, it does work to reach out to us, but, uh, you know, every day we're getting a little bit better with some help from coaches and places like HR uprising and one foot in front of the other better days are ahead. <laughs>